Warning! Today's story is for children. Yes, we mean it, children. And may not be appropriate for excessively mature audiences. Escape Pod 70 September 7th, 2006 Today's story, Squonk the Dragon, by Pete Butler. Hello, and welcome to Escape Pod. My name is Steve Ely, and I'm finally done with con season. Sort of. I'm not going to talk your ear off about Dragon Con. If you were there, then you probably had fun. Dragon Con's different from most conventions because of the sheer number of things to do. Some people go for the 30 or so programming tracks. Some go for the bands, or the games, or to meet actors from their favorite TV show. Some dress up as stormtroopers, or superheroes, or scantily clad fairies, and spend their time in the halls having their pictures taken. And I think some people go just to look at the fairies in the hall. I spent quite a bit of time in Michael and Evo's room, where there was an informal party going every night. And someone there made a very interesting comment. She said that parties full of podcasters have a lot more people talking than ordinary parties. I hadn't really thought about it, but as soon as she said it, I realized she was right, and it made perfect sense. Your average social crowd has an uneven mix of outgoing people and shy people. That's healthy and fine, as long as everybody's comfortable and having fun. But it's harder to find shy podcasters. Some of my recent friends will laugh at this, but I can remember being a lot more shy than I am right now. I was the kind who could be comfortable in groups of two or three, but put me in a crowded room and I'd fade into the background. That's far less true now, and I think a lot of it is this podcast. It takes a certain threshold of confidence to be able to turn on a mic and start talking, even if most of your content is already written. Doing it week after week builds that confidence, and that confidence extends to other social settings. I think the key to being outgoing is simply knowing that what you have to say is interesting to other people. It's a bit like, well, putting on a costume at Dragon Con. I know that some of those people are shy because I've talked to them, but creating a situation where you invite people to look at you does help you feel better about the way you look. I'm not saying this just to talk about me. I'm betting it has broader applications. If you're shy and you're comfortable, then that's great. There's no reason to change for anyone else. But if you're shy and you're not comfortable with it, if you want to be more confident, then getting a microphone and starting up a podcast may be one way to do it. It does take a while before you sound good to yourself, and the first few weeks you won't hit that record button without a twinge of nerves. But you will get there. You might get a lot of listeners, or you might get a few, but the fact that you put your voice out there for people, even in a controlled way, will make you feel better that your voice has something to say. So there's my Dr. Steve moment. How about a story? We decided that there's been a few too many R-rated and, quote, explicit content stories in a row lately, so this week we present something much lighter and fun for everyone. Our story is Squawk the Dragon by Pete Butler. Mr. Butler is a writer and programmer living in Pittsburgh who has been published in such diverse markets as Cicada and Sun and Foe and has an upcoming story in Black Gate. One amusing bit of background here is that he had sent us a few stories before this that we didn't buy. We'd sent him a comment that they were a bit too dark and downbeat for Escape Pod. The cover letter for this piece said, This is a 5,000-word short called Squonk the Dragon. If it was any less dark, it would require sunglasses. The story is read by my wife Anna and me. 
So give your mom a hug and then settle down in your nest. It's story time. Squonk the Dragon by Pete Butler. Squonk the Dragon lived in the tallest tree in the world. He lived in the highest branches in a nest made from twigs that, in truth, looked an awful lot like smaller trees. The tree stretched thousands of feet into the air, so high that some of Squonk's bird friends liked to fly to the very topmost branches and make themselves dizzy by looking down. The tree was so big around that Squonk could tire himself out by flying down to the bottom and running all the way around its trunk. Though it should be noted that dragons don't run much and tire rather easily that way, the tree was so strong that, well, that a dragon could live rather comfortably in its branches. Squonk lived with his mother, who was definitely not a dragon. She was a small bluebird named Mrs. Tweedlechirp. Now it is true that birds generally cannot lay dragon eggs, and Mrs. Tweedlechirp was no exception. But they can care for dragon eggs that they happen to find lying untended in the middle of the forest, assuming they are suitably ambitious. Of course, Mrs. Tweedlechirp couldn't raise Squonk all by herself. She enlisted the aid of every other bird in the forest at one time or another, and even a number of unfortunate flocks who just happened to be passing through. Mrs. Tweedlechirp was not the sort of bird who tolerated the answer "no" from anybody. She needed the help. Feeding a dragon, even a small one, is quite an undertaking for a bird who can only provide one worm at a time. And the nest—why, Squonk kept outgrowing nests as fast as his mother could get them built. And grow he did, from a sickly moss-colored little creature the size of a badger to a beautiful emerald green son the size of. Well, to be honest, Mrs. Tweedlechirp and her neighbors were at a loss for just what they ought to compare Squonk to. Dragons were quite rare in that part of the world, as were elephants and whales and anything else that wouldn't look tiny next to Mrs. Tweedlechirp's boy. Life was very pleasant for Squonk and Mrs. Tweedlechirp and their neighbors, which is to say, it was dull. Now, being a wise old bird. Mrs. Tweedlechirp was actually quite fond of dull, but being younger and well, much more dragony than his mother, Squonk was not so fond of dull. In fact, he frequently wished that something, anything interesting, would happen. Squonk's wish came true when he met a wizard named Wendell. Wendell was a successful wizard who had decided that it was time to stop fooling around with other people's castles and build himself a proper home. According to traditional wizard thinking, this meant building an enormous stone tower where you could perform magical experiments, or look across the land, or impress traveling sorceresses, or whatever else came to mind. But Wendell knew that building an enormous stone tower would be like putting a colossal sign reading, "Great wizard lives here," and that was the last thing he wanted. Since that inevitably meant apprentices. Oh, sure, you could try turning them away, but that never worked for long. The persistent little devils would just keep coming and coming and coming, and they'd start spreading rumors about how you wanted to keep all the magic to yourself, and that you thought you were too good to teach anybody else, and that led to rumors you were an evil wizard bent on taking over the world. 
So, unless you wanted to wind up with a horde of crusading knights and bad-tempered villagers making nuisances of themselves, you had to take the occasional apprentice or twelve from the nearby villages, no matter how infuriating or useless they were. Wendell had heard that some wizards liked teaching, but he had decided that either the rumors were lies or those wizards were hopelessly insane, which, contrary to popular belief, is not the least bit helpful when dealing with magic. Apprentices were such incompetent morons, spilling potions, getting into fights with each other, casting dangerous spells indoors, ruining experiments. He remembered several years ago when one of his students was showing off his mastery of making things disappear and reappear with a very expensive item. While the disappear part had gone perfectly, nobody ever did figure out just where that dragon egg had reappeared. So, as far as Wendell was concerned, apprentices were to be avoided at all costs. But what to do about his home, then? He still wanted something very impressive and wizardly. What's the point of becoming a powerful wizard if you have to hide out in some disguised hovel, or build your stronghold out in the middle of a wasteland? No, he decided... What he needed was something big and non-stone towery, which gave off an aura of, Warning! Impressive but cracked and utterly unsuited for teaching wizard lives here. And in what he thought was a particularly brilliant moment of inspiration, he decided to make his home out of a giant tree. He didn't want to chop down a tree and turn it into a house. Any woodcutter could do that. No, he wanted to find a tree that he could carve his home into while it still lived and grew. Now that, he decided, would be roomy, impressive, and strike anyone who passed by as the work of a complete lunatic. Of course, to pull it off, Wendell would have to find an uncommonly large tree, a tree that had already grown the size of a respectable wizard's tower. For instance like the tree in the heart of the old forest. Which is how a wizard came to be puttering around the base of Squonk's tree one day. Squonk noticed that the birds of the forest were all a twitter. Oh, it's that wizard fellow, I'm sure, Mrs. Tweedlechirp said when he asked her about it. A wizard? Squonk said, bouncing with excitement and making the entire nest sway. Really? Now don't you go getting any ideas, young man. She said, fluttering about her son's head. Wizards are trouble. You leave this one alone. But it was too late. Squonk was curious. As soon as his mother left, he hopped out of the nest and took flight. He wasn't about to pass up the chance to see a real live wizard in the flesh. Besides, he reasoned, I'm not going to hurt him or anything. I just want to look. Now, you would think that a dragon flying amongst the treetops would be the sort of thing any fool would notice. But the treetops were so far above the ground, and Squonk blended in so well with the leaves, that Wendell had no idea that an extremely curious young dragon was circling him far overhead. Wendell was far too captivated by Squonk's tree, staring up at what appeared to be a wall of solid wood. Why, a fellow could carve out a tower-sized nook in the center, and the tree would scarcely even notice. Magnificent! Of course, a wizard staring at a tree, contemplating where he's going to put an entrance, where the master bedroom should go, whether the laboratory ought to be high up or maybe underground, etc., is not a particularly interesting sight. Squonk began to wonder if perhaps his mother had been making fun of him. 
How could this boring fellow be a wizard? So he decided to swoop down for a closer look. You might think that a dragon swooping down on you as you stared up a tree would be a very easy thing to notice. You would be absolutely right. After a brief scream, Wendell did what any competent wizard would do when something enormous and dragon shaped suddenly swooped down on him. He shot it with a lightning bolt. Dragons are, as a rule, not much bothered by magic. Wendell's bolt of lightning didn't really hurt Squonk, it just scorched his nose and made him rethink the whole swooping down idea. Which is what Wendell had been hoping for. It gave him enough time to get ready for whatever the dragon did next. Nobody likes to pick a fight with a dragon. Nature has given them a lot of weapons to choose from. They have flaming breath, fearsome claws, gigantic teeth, and Wendell knew how to protect himself from all of them. But Squonk had been taught from a very early age to never, ever, ever, ever breathe fire for any reason under any circumstances. After all, Raising a dragon is enough trouble without the worry that he'll burn the entire forest down around you. As for his claws, well, most of the birds he'd grown up with used their claws less for ripping things apart and more for sitting peacefully on the branch. And not owning any teeth, Squonk's bird friends weren't really inclined to bite anything that worried them. In fact, it's entirely possible that Squonk would have grown up completely ignorant of ways to defend himself were it not for a mysterious crow who'd wandered through the forest several years back. This crow had taught the small birds of the forest, and one not-so-small dragon, a defense he'd learned in his many travels. He called it Woodpecker Foo. Wendell had never seen it before. Squonk demonstrated. Squonk remembered the training. First... Fly down to your enemy and flap like crazy so you'll hover in place. Second, look for some part of your enemy that would hurt a lot if you poked it. Third, peck vigorously until your enemy runs away. And that's what happened, more or less. The windstorm squonk kicked up by all the flapping almost blew Wendell away all by itself. And the pecking wasn't quite vigorous, nor did the wizard exactly run away. It was more like peck once... Blast your enemy about a hundred yards through the air, then watch him run off with a pronounced limp. Just the same, Squonk felt very pleased with himself. Squonk met his mother on the way back up to the nest. She'd been flying down to see what all the commotion was about. You were right, he said. Wizards are nothing but trouble. Well, I should say so, young man. Mrs. Tweedlechirp said, fluttering about her son's head in a towering rage. You could have been hurt! You could have been killed! I'm sorry, Squonk said, very much ashamed. Mrs. Tweedlechirp berated her son all the way back to the nest and then sent him to his room, which, to be honest, pretty much consisted of the entire nest. But it was the principle of the thing that mattered. And that was how Wendell felt about the whole situation, too. He hadn't been badly hurt, his backside had some thorns in it, his ankle was a bit twisted, and his stomach had a large bruise, roughly the size and shape of a dragon's snout. But when you get ambushed by a dragon, that's getting off pretty light. And there were plenty of other enormous trees in the forest that, while smaller, were hopefully not quite so dragon-infested. But Wendell had his heart set on this tree in particular, and he hadn't become a wizard just so he would give up at the first sign of trouble, had he? So, 
There was a dragon in his tree. The question was how to get rid of it. Blasting it away with magic was all wrong. It'll just annoy the dragon and burn the tree down. So, he would have to trick it out. Yes! Now that was a good wizardly notion. Outwit the beast and then claim his new home. Of course, that raised the question how does one trick a dragon into leaving its tree? Gold! Of course! Everybody knows dragons are greedy for gold. So Wendell spent the next week gathering up as much lead as he could and turning it into an enormous pile of gold. Now this, Wendell said to himself, will get rid of him? Yes, seeing all this gold should trigger that dragon greed. He'll want more and he'll go out looking for it. And even if he comes back, you can't have a hoard worth bragging about if it can fit in a nest. So Wendell left the pile of gold where Squonk would see it. And sure enough, one day while flying among the treetops, Squonk caught a glimpse of something yellow and glittery. He swooped down to take a closer look and found a pile of something he'd never seen before. They were rocks, but they were yellow and glittery and beautiful. He spent hours sitting and staring at the rocks. What were they? They were the most wonderful thing he'd ever seen, even if they did smell sort of like that mean little wizard person who'd singed his nose. Finally, Squonk gathered up a pile of the strange rocks in his mouth, goodness they were heavy, and flew home. Oh, he exclaimed. Oh, I Don't talk with your mouth full, dear, Mrs. Tweedlechirp said, mending her corner of the nest with some fresh twigs. Mom! Squonk said, spitting the mouthful of gold into the nest. Look what I found! Goodness! Mrs. Tweedlechirp said, taking a look at whatever it was that had her son so enthused. What on earth is it? I don't know, Squonk said. But isn't it beautiful? Why, yes! I suppose it is quite pretty, isn't it? Yeah, Squonk said. Wait here, I'll get the rest. There's more? Yeah! A great gorgeous pile of it. Mrs. Tweedlechirp cocked her head to the side. Why on earth would we need more of it? Squonk stared at her. Because, because it's beautiful. Yes, you've mentioned that. But what about the pile you have? I for one think it's already quite lovely. Would more really be that much prettier? Well, Squonk said, shuffling on his forefeet. I suppose not. And I really don't see how it has any other use. I mean, can you build a nest out of it? No, Squonk said, frowning. Squonk knew a thing or two about nest building. Under his mother's supervision, he'd been building and rebuilding the family home for years. Much too heavy for that. Don't suppose you can eat it, can you? No, Squonk said. Definitely doesn't taste like food. Well then. Mrs. Tweedlechirp said, turning back to her nest tidying. That settles it. If it's got no use except for you to look at, then we already have plenty. But, Mom, Squonk said, there's this great big pile of it still sitting in the forest, just sitting there. I've got an idea, Mrs. Tweedlechirp said. Why don't you tell all our neighbors about it? Squonk perked his ears. He hadn't even considered that. Yes. 
Mrs. Tweedledshirt went on. Yes, I expect they'll like to have a little to look at, too. Yeah, Squonk said, warming to the idea. Yeah, I'll go tell everybody. Think of how pleased everybody would be when he told them about the pretty yellow rocks. So off Squonk flew, telling every bird he could find, and he knew them all by name, about the pretty yellow rocks. Not everybody shared his enthusiasm. Most of the sparrows weren't too interested, and the orioles seemed downright bored. But many of the birds thanked him, and, upon seeing the pile, agreed that a rock or two would look lovely in their own nests. Mr. and Mrs. Caw-Caw, crows who were old friends with Mrs. Tweedlechirp, were particularly delighted. It's so shiny, Mr. Caw-Caw said. And pretty, Mrs. Caw-Caw said. And shiny and pretty, Mr. Caw-Caw said. And pretty and shiny, Mrs. Caw-Caw said. Yes, Squonk said. And glittery. Don't forget glittery. Ooh, Mr. and Mrs. Caw-Caw said, admiring Squonk's exquisite taste. Birds flew to and from the pile of gold all day, some only visiting once, others visiting several times. Not all the birds were strong enough to carry even a single little rock back to their own nest, but Squonk was glad to help them out. Disguised as a nearby shrub, Wendell watched in shock as the birds carried off the entire pile one piece at a time, aided by a dragon that should, by all rights, have been burning them to little feathered crisp for so much as licking at his gold. Clearly, more planning was in order. So Wendell thought, and thought some more. It's unnatural, he complained to nobody in particular. A dragon shouldn't be living in a tree. Why, it's bad for the dragon, he said, ignoring the fact that Squonk was obviously quite happy. And the tree, he went on, overlooking the point that Squonk's tree could probably hold quite a few more dragons. Maybe that's it, he muttered. Maybe this fool monster just needs to be shown what a real dragon's home looks like, and he'll leave my tree for good. So Wendell set to work, finding himself a good dragon-sized cave. Luckily for him, there were a few to be had in some mountains to the north of Squonk's tree. Next, he made another nice-sized pile of gold in it, since that's all a dragon really needs to get a good lair going, a nice cave, and some gold to hide within it. Finally... He had to lure the dragon to it. Wendell stood outside of the cave and disguised himself as a maiden. After all, everybody knows no dragon can resist a good maiden sacrifice, and started calling for help. Wendell had to yell very loudly, since Squonk's tree was a long ways away. But after spending the better part of a day booming out enough, Oh, dears! and goodness graciouses! and please help me before the dragon eats me's! Wendell finally enticed Squonk into coming over to see what all the fuss was about. Hello, Squonk said. Who are you? Eek! Wendell gave a scream that any dragon who'd met a real maiden would have found very suspicious. The dragon has come to devour me! Where? Squonk looked around in alarm. Wendell gave another terrified shriek and ran into the cave. Hey, where are you going? Squonk said. It's dark in there. He followed the maiden into the cave. Poor thing, he thought to himself. She seems kind of stupid. Maybe she can live with me and mother until she gets a little smarter. Once he was out of sight, 
Wendell disguised himself as a mouse and scuttled back out of the cave as Squonk lumbered deeper into it. And what a massive cave it was! Squonk had never been inside a cave before, and this one made a grand first impression. He forgot all about the poor girl he was following and curled up on the broad stone floor, his dragon instincts starting to take very firm hold. This, he decided, would be a lovely place for a nap. When Squonk hadn't emerged from the cave by nightfall, Wendell gave a little cheer, congratulated himself on what a clever wizard he was, and got back to planning his dragon-free home. So you can imagine Wendell's surprise when, three days later, he saw a very large green dragon flying around his tree. Flummoxed, Wendell disguised himself as a small red bird and flew up to talk to the dragon. Hello, Squonk said. Have we met? I don't think so, Wendell said. Say, I don't mean to be rude, but what are you doing here? You're a dragon. Shouldn't you be in a cave? Funny you should mention it, Squonk said, but I found a really nice cave a few days ago. It was neat. So why didn't you stay? Wendell asked. Because it got so boring, Squonk said, rolling his eyes. I mean, it's cold, the floor's all hard and not nice to nap on at all. I can't hear the other birds chirping and playing from way down in there. It's a nice place to hide, but I wouldn't want to stay there. Wendell fluttered next to him, too stunned to speak. As a matter of fact, Squonk said, whispering, as much as a dragon can whisper, I'm headed back there right now. I've been gone three whole days, and Mom's very angry with me. Squonk! A small, tweetering, and very angry voice said from someplace far above them, Where have you gotten to this time, boy? Squonk! I'd better go, Squonk whispered. But if you can find me later, I can get you some really pretty yellow rocks. He then flapped off as fast as his enormous wings could carry him. Moments later, Wendell saw a small, irate bluebird flying after the dragon. Well, no wonder he lives in a tree, Wendell said, fluttering back to the ground and casting off his disguise. He thinks he's a bird. I've been going at this all wrong. He barely thinks like a dragon at all. Probably never met his real mother in his life. A very cunning idea started to take shape in Wendell's head. Three days later, the forest was abuzz with excitement. There was a dragon flying around, one that wasn't Squonk. Having heard tales of dragons not raised by Mrs. Tweedlechirp, the other birds kept well clear of this one. The dragon, enormous and green, and bearing what one wizard hoped was a strong familial resemblance to Squonk, flew over to Squonk's nest. Squonk watched her intently as she swooped down to a large branch nearby. Why, hello! Mrs. Tweedlechirp said politely, fluttering onto her son's nose. I'm Mrs. Tweedlechirp, and this is my son, Squonk. Who might you be? I, Wendell said from within his dragon disguise, am his mother. Huh? Squonk said. I beg your pardon, said Mrs. Tweedlechirp. You heard me, the dragon said. I'm his mother. Thank you for raising him for me, but I'm here to take him home. Mom? Squonk asked anxiously, looking cross-eyed at his little blue mother.
Hush, dear, she cooed from his nose. I'm sorry, she said, turning back to the new dragon, but there seems to be some mistake. You can't be his mother. I am. What? Wendell asked, taken aback. I'm the one who's raised him, she said sternly. I'm the one who's taken care of him ever since he was tiny. Well, tiny-ish at least. I'm the one who's fed him. I'm the one who's looked after him when he's ill. I'm the one teaching him how to build a nest, how to tell right from wrong, and how to get along with others. In short, madam, I'm the one who loves him, and I'm the one who has reason to be proud of what a fine young lad he is. Aw, Squonk said, blushing. You're embarrassing me, Mom. Mrs. Tweedlechirp flew off her son's nose as he turned his head to hide his smile. She landed on a branch where she could look the other dragon in the eye. But, but you're a bird, Wendell protested. Birds lay bird eggs, not dragon eggs. Oh, maybe you did lay his egg, she said. But that would mean you're the one who left it unattended in the middle of my forest. And please excuse me, madam, but I'm afraid I don't think very highly of you for that. If you were any kind of mother at all, you knew there's a lot more to it than just laying an egg. In fact, I dare say that was the easy part. You, you silly little bird, Wendell said, hoping to frighten Mrs. Tweedlechirp. It didn't work. Wendell tried baring his teeth at her. That didn't work either. Now see here, Wendell said. I misplaced that egg many years ago and have been looking for it ever since. Now you've done me a favor by tending to my son for me, but I'm back now and mean to take him back to live among his own kind. Which was exactly what Wendell intended, save that he didn't mean to stick around once Squonk was back among his own kind. Mrs. Tweedletrip scowled, which isn't easy for a bird, but Mrs. Tweedletrip was up to it. I'm sorry, madam, but I'm going to have to ask you to leave now. Good day. But, but, Wendell sputtered, surely you want to be rid of him by now? Look at him. He's much too big for you to take care of. Hey, Squonk said. Mrs. Tweedletrip hopped off her branch and fluttered right in front of the older dragon's face. You, she said in a voice of cold rage, or without question, the single rudest creature it has ever been my misfortune to encounter. And she pecked him in the eye, vigorously. Wendell gave a yelp of surprise and lost his grip on the branch. He forgot he was disguised as a dragon and stopped being disguised as one. He fell quite a ways before landing on a branch that, while painful, at least kept him from falling any further. I'm sorry you had to see that, dear. Mrs. Tweedlechirp said, composing herself. Look, Mom, look, a very enthused squonk said, pointing with his nose towards a very confused man several branches below. It wasn't a dragon at all. It was that wizard. Well, she huffed, I never. He sure fooled us good, didn't he? Squonk said, laughing. Well, I suppose he did at that, the rude little man. Hey, Squonk said as the wizard rubbed his injured eye. I think you heard him. Serves him right, didn't it? What did I tell you? Nothing but trouble, wizards. No, I think he's crying. Indeed. 
Wendell was sobbing miserably. What's wrong? Squonk asked, making his way down as his mother stayed by the nest. Why won't you go away? Wendell cried. This is my home, Squonk said, confused. Where else would I go? But this is a tree, and you're a dragon. Dragons live in caves with lots and lots of gold. What's gold? You know, that shiny yellow stuff you're so fond of. Wait a minute, Mrs. Tweedlechirp said, fluttering down. You're the one who's been making so much trouble? Wendell nodded. And why, she went on, should you care whether my son lives in a tree or a cave or any place else? Because I want to live here, he said miserably. Ooh, Squonk said, excited. A wizard living in our tree? That would be so cool. No, it wouldn't, Mrs. Tweedletrip said sharply. Nothing but trouble. Aw, Squonk said. But he's been the most fun I've had in, well, forever. Doesn't matter, Wendell said. I can't live in the same tree as a dragon. And, Mrs. Tweedletrip said, I suppose you'll try to evict me and all of our neighbors next, <laughs> Of course not, Wendell said. You're birds. You're small. You don't take up any space at all. Well, Mrs. Tweedletrip said, as you can see, my son and I aren't going anywhere. Squonk, kindly escort this gentleman back down. I bid you good day, Mr. Wizard. And with that, Mrs. Tweedlechirp flew off. Dejected, Wendell wrapped his arms around Squonk's neck and let the dragon carry him to the ground. Wendell could have just disguised himself as something with wings, of course, but he was far too depressed to bother. Mr. Wizard, Squonk said as he neared the ground. Yes. Why can't you live here if I'm living here? Squonk asked, landing. Because, Wendell said miserably as he slid off Squonk's back, I can't have a dragon living on top of my home. They're dangerous. I'm not, Squonk said, offended. Yes, but... Well, the dragon had a point. His mother, the bird, was probably more ferocious than he was which, in Wendell's opinion, said quite a lot about both the dragon and the bird. Wendell shook his head. Doesn't matter. There isn't enough room. Squonk scowled and looked up at the massive tree. It stretched so far into the sky that it was going to take him a while to fly back home. Its trunk was so thick that a hundred squonks could have surrounded it with no trouble at all. But there's plenty of room. No, there isn't. Wendell said, waving his hand. You're a dragon! You're huge, and you're going to get huger yet! Squonk's eyes widened. Really? When I grow up, I'm going to be as big as this tree? No, Wendell said. Of course not. But you'll get at least twice as large as you are now, and... Wait a minute. The tree was absolutely enormous. Even fully grown, Skronk would be no larger to this tree than his mother would be to an ordinary tree. Could Wendell really live here without even noticing the dragon? Then a thought made Wendell's face split into an enormous grin. Say, he said, if I asked you nicely, would you be willing to occasionally swoop down and scare the shorts off of somebody? Like a would-be apprentice, for instance. Squonk thought about this for a moment, then smiled. He wasn't sure what the wizard was talking about, 
but it sounded like it might be fun. So, after profuse apologies to Mrs. Tweedlechirp and promises to stay on his best behavior, Wendell made his home in the tree. And Squonk had a fantastic new playmate who was a continual source of lots of interesting things. And they all lived happily ever after. At least, right up until the point where Wendell told Squonk just what an apprentice is. But that's another story. The End And that was our story. You know, of all the stories we've done on Escape Pod, this is one of the ones I'd most like to see adapted to video, just for the woodpecker-foo action sequence. I've been a little out of it this week, mostly due to Dragon Con and having to get the Daily Dragon podcast together for the con every day. But it looks like in my absence there was some really thoughtful discussion in the comments thread of last week's story, Her by Tobias Bakel. It looks like people enjoyed the story on the whole. Brian called it great in a disturbing way, or disturbing in a great way, or disturbingly great, or some combination of the above. Although there were a number of people who objected to the ending. The gist seemed to be that the Mother Earth metaphor that was built up throughout the story was clear enough without having to be hammered over the head with it at the end. Jeremiah also felt it was unfortunate that all of Earth's religions were treated as homogeneous in the story when there are several that wouldn't have a problem with the nudity. He cited Buddhists as an example. I'm not going to present any deep opinions on the story. I just want to say again how cool it is that we've got an audience that can think about these stories from many different angles and discuss their differences with intelligence and clarity. As the ancient scholars once said, you guys rock. I think this is a good week to drop a quick line about Escape Pod Classic. If you weren't aware of it, that's our archive feed that presents just the PG-rated stories for parents that are concerned about the diversity of our main feed. I've been really horribly remiss about keeping it updated, and yet its subscriber base is still growing. Which means I better get off my rear end and do something. I'm going to try a simpler format with it, presenting the entire episodes instead of re-recording the intros and outros, which will make it easier for me to keep going, so expect to see a sort of reset of the feed next week. That means it's a good time to subscribe. Finally, I want to give a shout-out to all the nominees and winners of the first annual Parsec Awards this weekend. That was a really fun award ceremony at DragonCon, with cool graphics and high fashion, and the Peter Jackson Precision Hobbit Tossing Competition. I particularly want to give kudos to these guys, who won the speculative short fiction category. Welcome to Variant Frequencies, month to month. Our podcast brings you fiction stories from a different channel. Sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and some odd bands in between. Visit us at www.variantfrequencies.com. I've been listening, and they've got some excellent production values going. If you need a bigger story fix during the week than Escape Pod is bringing you, you really ought to check them out. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. If you find a big pile of it in the forest, you can share it with all your birdie friends. Our music is by permission of Dai Kaiju. What you're hearing now is an exclusive, never-before-released bonus track called Friend of All Children. That was our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed the change of pace. If you didn't, we'll be back next week with different words in an entirely different order. 
Thanks for listening, and have fun.